Welcome to episode 41 of the Fight for Together podcast. You're listening to the Fight for Together podcast. All right, we got drinks poured, cigars are lit. Let's not mess around. What do you think? Let's go to it. All right, it is time for the news. Okay, three news articles today. Let's go from chill to less chill. Okay. Okay. Yep. First one from the Independent. Headline, Meryl Streep says she doesn't agree with the term toxic masculinity. Huh. That's going against the grain. Yeah, I like that. Meryl Streep has expressed her opposition to the term toxic masculinity, stating her view that the use of the expression can be harmful for boys. The three-time Oscar winner explained that she dislikes the term because, in her opinion, all individuals can exhibit toxic behavior, regardless of gender. Sometimes I think we're hurt. We hurt our boys by calling something toxic masculinity. I do, Streep said, and I don't find that putting those two words together because women can be pretty fucking toxic. It's toxic people. Someone from the star said, we have our good angles and we have our bad ones. Streep added that she thinks labels can be less helpful than direct direct communication when calling out detrimental behavior. We're all in this boat together. We've got to make it work, she said. I think I agree with that. I'm a fan. I mean, to me, I guess it's hard because I haven't been in a a world where I've ever heard this term used in a way that it's been helpful to me, Mm. at least. Um, But I guess I'm just trying to play devil's advocate for terms. I guess if it's the only way that you can get out that something done to you was damaging or hurtful or wrong, then fine. I don't know what they're... I mean, I know what toxic means and I know what masculinity means, but I don't exactly know how this term is most normally used. Like, is is it stemming from being in a world where men have ruled like yeah i think it's i think it's a reaction to a male-based world yeah and then things are kind of taken as normative like they're nor- they're normalized like men just act like they own the place as an example and yeah i because when I think about it that way, I get it. Like, I get why people would want to say toxic masculinity. But then I also get that what if they some people started saying toxic femininity? I think I would have a beef with that. So why wouldn't I have a beef with... Because I just think it, it, it can harm harm, like, a group of people that you're like, oh, I'm a boy, I, I'm masculine... Am I toxic? You know, you. 
I can see how that can be. Or the other thing it's doing is it's attributing motive. Or like it's saying you're kind of being an ass because you're a man. Whereas yeah. maybe you're being an ass just because you're an ass. <laughs> maybe it's because you had a rough childhood and you would be yeah. this way if you're a boy or a girl. Yeah. That's where I feel like it crosses a line because it kind of says it's doing the same thing. It's committing the same crime that it's had committed against it where it's like saying, yeah. oh, we were we were women and we were oppressed. So now because you're a man, you get lumped in with this whole other almost it's become a new subclass in a mm-hmm. way. I think if it's toxic, we call it toxic. And by the way, I don't like calling any people toxic. I like calling yeah. there's things that are done that are toxic to me. But that doesn't yeah. make you toxic necessarily. It's not that black or white. Yeah, because I think in every person, like you can think of the worst person, there's going to be good aspects in that person. And we're all mixtures of that. So, yeah, to call someone toxic, I, I, I definitely, I get it. I get why people do it. But it may be more harmful than good. So for that, Meryl Streep. I don't know who you are, even. I, was she in a you movie don't? or something? Yeah, who, who is she? She's a famous actress. Okay, tell me more. Like, I think she's like, she's been around a long time. Um, out of Africa, I don't know. That's, I've never that, seen that. I know. She's, I mean, she's in her 60s, probably. Okay, you've told me nothing so far. Why um, should I care? I don't, I'm not trying to make you care. You asked if who she is i'm telling you who she is i know all that i'm just saying i mean like i she's played in a lot of other movies i just don't know any of the titles no honey i shrunk the kids but similar uh terminator 2 generation similar generation all right whatever i still didn't mean that they're right next to each other okay we're cruising that's our first news second news from the Huffington Post. This is this is an per- op-ed piece mm. written by the person who the article's about. I was parent-shamed when we had an emergency at sea. Now I'm defending my family. Okay, so this is really a kind of a niche piece. Um, so evidently this lady... This, I'll just read the first line of the article. When we hit the emergency beacon on our sailboat to get our 13-month-old the medical attention she needed, I fully believed I was a good parent who was making the right choice. A lot of people disagreed. Duh. Um, okay, so these people... Duh, as in everyone's always going to disagree. Yeah. You're going to have some naysayers. Yeah, that's kind of like Captain Obvious says. But um, if you're not, like, used to this, that world, that can be shocking. Yeah, these people are used to it. Okay. Okay, so she's writing this article. She says, in between dating and marriage and living aboard, my husband, a lifelong sailor, became a U.S. Coast Guard licensed captain. I obtained my keelboat certification. So basically she goes on and on about how they've lived their entire life on a boat, more or less. Okay. And they're not idiots. Like, they, Doesn't sound like he's it. Coast Guard. She's certified for this, that, and the other. In 2010, they brought their first daughter home to live on the boat and took her sailing for the first time when she was three months old. Um, the husband would solo sail while she was breastfeeding in the cockpit. I mean, I don't know Jack about boats, so this is all, like, foreign language to me. Um, 
but they researched best practices for sailing and cruising with kids on board, blah, 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 blah. Always wore life jackets, harnesses, you name it. Okay, so she's like making this whole case for how qualified they are. And by the way, I didn't know this. There's like a crap ton of people that live on boats. Like families. Yeah, I didn't know that either. I knew some people lived on boats. Like they live on boats and they like at sea or they're like all the above docked okay i mean they got into trouble when they were boating like around the world this family yeah okay but they lived on a boat for a long time and i guess they're saying there's this facebook group where there's sixteen thousand members and a lot of people live on boats is the point okay yep um and then they go on and say that the kids are qualified. By the time my oldest was three, she could motor our dinghy from shore to our anchored vessel with my husband pointing out her path. She nimbled on the boarding ladder. Uh, they bathed in the solar shower. Okay, so she's making this case like, oh, the last line. This, this is why I highlight this. Our life aboard was one filled with friendship, community, simplicity, and immense amounts of quality time and togetherness. Okay, big shock there. Like, I can appreciate not that. having a ton of space in suburbia and getting your kids whatever you want, having access to fast food. Actually, they noticed was all the distractions too was great for their family. And yeah. we're not against those things, but we have our experience on the Appalachian Trail. And the reason why we did the Appalachian Trail was because we saw that when we went hiking and um, had a very simple life, we noticed it was good for our relationships and our kids were capable of all sorts of things that for whatever reason in a society filled with a lot of culture and entertainment i think we treat them dumber well and there's a lot of comfort and there's not a lot of opportunities where they could show that they're capable yeah so when we needed them in those environments um they rose to the occasion rose to the occasion and and we were impressed with what we saw so they're saying the same thing yeah. So then um, they started crossing some big-ass body of water. <laughs> South Pacific? Is that a place? Isn't that in the Caribbean? I don't know. Oh, I don't know either. I don't know where these places are. A week into our crossing, however, our youngest daughter got sick. After several days when she was getting worse instead of better, our onshore doctor, they have us beat, yeah. Advised us to begin antibiotics. Which, fuck, okay. I guess they had the antibiotics on the boat. They were prepared. We started her on the medication, but she was not responding. Then each of the redundancies we carried on board for onshore communication, including VHF and SSB radios or satellite phone, everything failed. Okay, so they're not able to communicate. But they have this button, the emergency position indicating radio beacon or... E-P-I-R-B. When someone's in distress. Yeah. Was our last method of communicating with land. And as the name indicates, was only to be used for emergencies. And they decided this was an emergency. So they push the button. Okay. And Coast Guard shows up. Four U.S. Coast Guard para-rescue men. It, wasn't he on Coast Guard? Yeah. The... I don't know if he was active or maybe he was passed. Yeah. But, okay. Uh, so my cigar sh- went out. So they show up to... To rescue them. Rescue them. Okay. And it turns out that the girl had typhoid fever. 
Oh, dang. And they got that before departing for the South Pacific. So this is like, how the hell would you know that you have typhoid fever? Like, well, the and they're using their parents' parental intuition and in trying to figure it out. Like, is this bad enough to, you know, I don't know. To me, it's like, so far, this is making a lot of sense to me. <laughs> Talk more while I light my cigar. Um, well... Yeah, I don't know what else to say because I don't know the rest of the story. Ben reads these and I don't. This is my cigar from episode 40, by the way. Um, we should have changed our clothes. Cause I know, I thought about that, actually. <laughs> okay. So then they come back to shore. Everyone's fine, as far as I can tell. And this story starts getting picked up on... Well, wait, but... The daughter needed help. Fine as in typhoid fever. Yeah, she, I think she got it and everyone was fine. Yeah. There's just not much to talk about from that yeah. perspective. Okay. I think she, she, it doesn't really say. I don't think so. They went to a hospital. Every, everything turned out fine. Yeah. And, of course, there's this is published on, like, the New York Times, like, various websites. Why? <laughs> because I don't – well, I don't know. But – why is this it, such it's hot a, news? It's a story because it's a rescue. Mm. You know? Yeah. And it's the, a it's a very it's also a unique rescue. Yeah. Yeah. People love to hear about this kind of shit. So comments on the rescue for these various websites openly called for our children to be taken away and included wishing people people wishing that all four of us had drowned. What the fuck? Which we got this kind of stuff, by the way, on our, to us. <sighs> yeah. When people treat other people that way, I'm just like, ah, oh, where did our humanity go? Well, you know what really kind of, you know what really kind of irks me? Is people get rescued all the time. Okay. And now... I want to pause for a second and talk about our worst experience of potentially needing a rescue. We walked into the Appalachian, on the Appalachian Trail, into the Smoky Mountain National Park, and we were in a blizzard. And during this blizzard, we walked through uh, the blizzard in waist-deep snow, and we ended up at Newfound Gap, which is where my parents were supposed to pick us up to take us into Gatlinburg, Tennessee, to this like water park hotel <laughs> just like ghetto 80s las vegas amusement land town is what it seemed like to me mm -hmm. and anyways the road is closed because of this blizzard so we end up at this gap it's called newfound gap and i don't know what the elevation was am i on five thousand feet or so and um cold 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 20 degrees below freezing and there was a bathroom and the word had kind of spread on the trail like oh this bathroom is where you the the park rangers advised you to kind of wait it out in the bathroom because technically it was heated although barely it was like 40 degrees instead of below freezing it was above freezing it, yeah i guess 40 is above freezing and then at one point somehow we got access to a phone 
And I wanted to call my parents just to see what was up because there was no communication. Like our phone didn't work, but someone else's phone worked. And we really wanted to know when we were going to get out of here because we were going nuts in this bathroom. I mean, this bathroom was like a prison cell. The hardest part was not knowing when we would get out. Like we didn't know if we were going to spend days. It was like boredom was the hardest part. So I get in touch with the park rangers and the park rangers had heard about us because people had reported us people quote unquote looking out for our best interests supposedly had told the park rangers about us and they 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 asked us very specifically is this an emergency because if it's an emergency we can come and get you and i don't know if it was helicopter or what they were talking but i had to very we had to think about it and it wasn't a very there wasn't much to think about because we had plenty of food we were warm we were bored as hell but that's not an emergency and so we didn't ask for help. Now, simultaneously, word had got out on the trail somehow, and we know one source posted on some blog of some sort that we had got helicoptered out. And we didn't know about this because we had no internet, no nothing. So by the time we get into town, there's message boards are going nuts about those asshole Crawfords taking their kids in a blizzard and how they should they deserve to die because we risked other people's lives to get off this mountain. I mean, it was a story that was larger than life, and all these people were chiming in, be like, well, serves them right. Knew this was going to happen. They should have died. They deserve this. They should have their kids taken away. Blah, 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 blah. And in that time period, I remember thinking, first of all, if you get a rescue, who gives a fuck? Because, one, because this is the case you'll make. They're putting other people's lives at risk. But these are people that are optionally putting their lives at risk. That's what they're trained for. It's what they're trained for. It's what they signed up for. Right. Okay? Right. So they like want it. It's their job. They're getting paid to do it. They chose to do it. No one's being forced. Which I I feel like if it was someone else getting rescued, like, and I'll go back to this story in a minute, that didn't have kids they wouldn't be getting this that type of reaction. Totally. And I think this this family, if they didn't have kids, and if let's say let's say the woman came down with typhoid fever, no one would give a fuck. Yeah. But it's because they had kids and people have this certain idea of how kids should be raised, and I know how kids should be raised, that they to make themselves feel better, they say they should have all just drowned. <laughs> The second reason why I don't have a problem with calling in rescue is you pay for it. People don't realize mm. Coast Guard's not working for nothing. Yeah. <laughs> park Service isn't working for nothing. Our family paid $200 to get into the Smoky Mountain National Park. Right. Now, I know that doesn't pay for a helicopter. Right. But th- these are our tax dollars that they're using to fund these services that we all elect for. Mm-hmm. Now, that being said, I don't want to use, I don't want to be in a situation where we have to be rescued. No. But if Rainier was, like, comatose in the bathroom, you better believe I would be like, please rescue us. <laughs> I just think people are, they they latch on to the funniest logic when they're really looking to vil- villainize someone. Um, yeah. So then this lady, the mom, makes these, this kind of fascinating observation. She says, if we had successfully arrived in the Marquiasis, I don't know what that is, the only headlines about us would have been ones that highlighted our unique lifestyle 
or feature stories like this family showing the world that people can live differently than the way most of us are used to. Almost everyone loves daring, dauntless people right up until the moment that something goes wrong. That's fascinating. That is really insightful. Because what she's saying is that people are so fixated on the result. Mm. And they don't see the journey. Like even just the journey of them being on this boat for what, a decade or and having this lifestyle already. Yeah, well, people love the headline. Yeah. You know, it's all about whatever headline is created. When 99.99% of life happens outside the headlines, which means that the benefits and the consequences for that matter. I mean, let's take both examples of the positives and the negatives. Let's say, I mean, even though this emergency happened, this was probably, according to these people, the best way that they could live their family for their goals. With the simplicity, the values, the relationships, the joy, it was worth it to them. Mm-hmm. And they did it. Now, the headlines don't talk about that. You know, they're going to say four people, lifeguards, typhoid fever, almost died, scare, 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 fear, 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 click, 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 sell ads, sell ads, sell ads, because that's what newspapers are for. Yeah, which bringing it back to personal experience, you know, we're hiking the AT and people just think we're idiots that we don't have any experience whatsoever. Like they don't care to look at any context or where we have come from. At all. Now, on the flip side, you could feed your kid McDonald's every day and sit on a couch with an iPad every day and... It's not going to make headlines. <laughs> it will never. Mm-hmm. Even though your your child's dying of heart disease, cancer, obesity, and she gets into the stats. I mean, she goes into this whole defense case about what actually causes death around here. Mm-hmm. And um, like school shootings, how more kids die of school shootings. But things that are normal don't make headlines. And therefore, society doesn't get angry. We don't have the emotion tied to it. But that doesn't make they it any less villain- deadly. Villainize. Uh, they don't villainize normal when catastrophe hits a normal behavior. Now, I remember thinking about this. When we first went out on the Wonderland Trail, this 95-mile loop around Mount Rainier, and this is our family's first taste of adventure, really, as a family. Our kids were two, four, six, and eight, Mm -hmm. and we're hiking in the rain. And we're in situations where, as a parent, I was like, it felt like our kids could die. It didn't feel likely, Mm -hmm. but I I looked at ledges, and I thought about bears, and I thought about hypothermia and frostbite. and these bridges and the thought comes into my head which by the way should come into our head every single time we get into a car but doesn't because it's normal and i thought our kids could die and i had to wrestle with the fact if one of our kids dies does that mean everything is undone it was all a waste in other words do i focus on the result to reinterpret all of our actions now playing blackjack I learned something very important when I played blackjack for a living. And that is the only way you become a successful blackjack player is by ignoring the immediate result. And you focus on the system that will win in the long run. And if you play your system, you will win. And if you have a losing system, you will lose. But by focusing on the result, you're almost guaranteed to lose. Not really, but if it distracts you from playing a winning system then 
you'll actually lose. And gamblers are notorious for walking home and they say, I had a winning night. And everyone looks at them like a hero, even though they're idiots because, or maybe they're not idiots, but they made bad investments. And if they continue to go to the casino, they're guaranteed to lose. But people love the story, gamblers especially love the story of saying that they won and they don't talk about the losses. So what I took away from that when we were living a life of adventure was we have to live our life the best way we know how. And if shit happens, uh, I lose a finger, you know, someone gets sick, uh, and most terrible tragedy, someone dies, that doesn't make our entire life's message, work, effort, a waste or wrong or regretful. It just means that shit happens. Mm-hmm. Now, I might therefore take that data. If that happens a lot, mm-hmm. I might take it and then kind of like rethink things and say like, hey, should I, you know, why did this happen? And mm-hmm. should I be rethinking my system here? You know, same thing yeah. with blackjack. But just because someone dies in a car crash, no one says, see, we shouldn't be driving cars. Right. I mean, even though I think there's a case to be made there. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so she says the type of parent shaming is not reversed, reserved for adventurers alone. In fact, modern parenting is a lose-lose scenario where families who choose to raise children in the supposed safety of suburbia face criticism for overprotecting their offspring and others are accused of reckless endangerment. So she says it's, you're just fucked. You're damned if you do and damned like, if you don't. Everyone's looking for someone to judge. Really just to make ourselves feel better about if we're feeling insecure, then we just look for someone to judge. I guess it's human nature to do that. And I feel like we just have this like almost like heroes and villains case, you know, where everyone feels like a shitty parent in a way. But it's it's definitely safer to be normal. It's safer not to go in a boat. Yeah. Because if your kid dies of heart disease, who's gonna? I mean, people are gonna donate money on the GoFundMe and say like, "Oh, that's it's so like terrible." A blip, yeah. It's not really doesn't make headlines. But if it appears preventable and it's outside the norm, yeah. If your kid's morbidly obese, it might make the headlines, and they die from heart disease. Maybe not around here. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe it happens all the time. And- so then she goes on this kind of diatribe where she says, I am calling for an end to the sanctimonious hand-wringing about children's safety when it comes to lifestyles different than our own. Enough with the false proclamations that mainstream American life is the default and safest option for raising families. If we are truly concerned about keeping our kids safe, let's really talk about what's putting our children at risk. Last year, more American children died in school shootings then service members died while deployed. The biggest killers of kids in our country are car crashes and gun fatalities. There is an epidemic of children with type 2 diabetes. And let's look squarely at the kids in poverty in this country who daily face hunger and homelessness. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. I, I get it, but I feel like she's... I I wish I had that type of fight, hope, and optimism that she has that we're all just going to, like, snap out of it. I feel like that's what she's kind of asking people to do is, like, stop judging. 
And it's like, yeah, I haven't found that anywhere. I mean, maybe she's not that idealistic. Maybe she just thinks this is how, what she believes. And maybe there'll be a few people that are like, yeah, that makes sense. Well, and I know it's an article for the Huffington Post, so you got to make it short and, and inciting. Yeah. But when she says, I'm calling for an end to the sanctimonious hand-wringing about children's safety when it comes to lifestyles different than our own, I mean, this is the human condition, is judging people that are different than us. Yeah, because I think every decade, century, whatever, I mean, maybe you should say in decades, has had what has had something that is like this is how you raise kids and if you step out of that box you're going to be judged so how do you have a world where that doesn't happen and this comes to like what we're up to what our belief system is is i i don't think you can have that world i think you have to learn how to exist within the world and know that you're going to get judged yeah but and I think going. what she's doing by sharing the story is she's trying to change 1% of the world or something, which is what we're and, trying to do. Yeah. And like, I think, I mean, even me hearing the story and knowing that our lifestyle is different, it helps me feel less alone. Like, oh, maybe I'm not yeah. as batshit crazy as I thought I was. But what I think is a, at least what we're doing is sharing our story in the hopes that would offer hope to other people that there is another way to live life but really i think we have to become secure enough in ourselves that we don't need to judge others to feel good about ourselves and we need to if we can show people how to do that because i don't think people know how Mm -hmm. it's so natural to judge others to feel good about yourself Mm-hmm. And it's not, I mean, I don't want to say it's not bad because I actually think it is destructive, but without a, without an alternative, mm-hmm. it's very normal. Yeah. And I think judging one brand and then going to judging another brand and being part of a religious group and judging that brand and then getting non-religious and judging the religious. I mean, it's all, that's life mm-hmm. and they're all doing the same shit. Yeah. The article ends by. Her saying, threats to children's safety exist in any lifestyle that parents choose, and there are ways to mitigate those threats. Be prepared, live responsibly, and teach our kids to do so as well. Why not stop the parent shaming and focus on supporting families instead? Let the parents who want the familiarity of the mainstream raise their children as they will, and let parents with rebel hearts seek the path of a life lived outside the box. Hmm. I like that. I like that too. Because everyone's just trying to do the best they can, and I don't. I think it's fine choosing what's best for you. <laughs> All right. Ready for the. Ready for heavy duty. Yes, I think so. All right, New York Times title. Her evangelical megachurch was her world. Then her daughter said she was molested by a minister. Shocking. Um, subtitle, evangelical churches have a long distance themselves from the sexual abuse crisis that has consumed the Catholic church, but a reckoning has arrived. Okay, so this is in Texas, and 
I'm curious because I haven't read this. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to how she responded. The the I'm assuming it's mom, mother of the daughter. Yeah, well, it's this whole family affair. So basically, because if that was her world, she had a choice to make. The article starts that there's this pastor. I think he's a pastor, evangelical pastor named Matt Chandler, who I've heard his name before. I don't know anything about him. But he was preaching on the evil of leaders who sexually abuse they are called to protect. But at the village church, he assured his listeners victims of assault would be heard and healed. We see you, he said. And at this, this lady nearly vomits and walks out of the church service. Wait, is this the same church that this happened? Yes. Oh, dang. So that's what makes this story a little fascinating. So one year before... Um, this couple, their names are the Braggs, reported to the church that their daughter at age 11 had been sexually abused at the church's summer camp for children. So the guy who did it was the church's associate children's minister, had been investigated by the police, indicted, and arrested for sexually molesting the daughter. And this whole year, it says... Mrs. Bragg was waiting for church leaders to explain what had happened and to thoroughly inform other families in the congregation. She waited for the church to take responsibility and apologize. She waited to have even one conversation with the head pastor, a leader that she had long admired. This is the Matt guy? Yes, but okay. in that year, none of that ever came to be. Hmm. Um, Shocking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of like the theme here is... So the church is basically, there's all this talk, okay? This is what the church says in this statement it made. Mm -hmm. We employ a number of best practices that have been informed by work with external experts, including background checks, safety trainings, and various security protocols, and to do all we can to ensure the care and protection of all participants. So that's their way of saying, hey, when we hire these folks, they're screened and we do our part. Okay, a daycare and a school does that, great. Right? Yeah, but... I mean, that's good. It is good. I'm glad they do that, you but... Want to do more? Well, n- uh, yeah, if, if something happens, for sure. I, I mean, I'm just saying, like, I don't know if they're trying to, like, pat themselves on the back for that. I think or, they are. Because <laughs> it's like, you're just doing the status quo, and I, that's, I guess that's good that you're doing that. The church also said that it had filed a police report and that it continues to support the work of the civil authorities assigned to the case. So the church is kind of saying, it's kind of covering its ass the way I see it. Now, I think it might be appropriate to share your story a bit. Yeah. Because you were sexually molested by... By a youth pastor. In junior high. From the ages of 13 to 16, roughly. Went for, on for a long time. Uh... And and this youth, this youth pastor. Well, and my dad was, let's make things a little crazier. My dad was the associate pastor of this church. And this youth pastor um, was also a junior high teacher at a public school. Yes. Yeah. I mean, basically what happened, the story didn't come out. I didn't come out with it until I was 18. And... I think, I don't even fully know what happened. The church, I think, I think he was already 
not working at the church anymore at that point, or maybe I forget, but he stopped working at the church, but he didn't stop being with children. And I, and actually I, someone actually helped me at when I was 18 to call it into, uh, CPS or whatever, um, to report, to contact the police to, to because the church didn't. Yeah. Right. I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, I, I don't remember having a conversation with them saying we don't have any report of him, but I'm, my guess is that never happened. Yeah. Well, no, to our Well, knowledge, I don't think he would, would he have been working with at a public school no. if that would have happened? No. So then no, then it wasn't called in. And, and this is a tight knit circle. I mean, it was, there was thousands of people at this church, but there was no announcement made. Like, no, it was just kind of like, which by the way, I think is very normal for a corporation. Yeah. I think we've talked about this on this podcast. Like when, if Amazon has a sexual harassment case and some guy is like known, they don't like say, I mean, unless they're completely caught red handed by the press and have to issue a public mm-hmm. statement, they're not going to go public with it. They're going to, they're going to maybe fire the guy, maybe like send a memo out, maybe not if possible. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to disappear. But the problem I see about not going public with it is if this kind of shit happens, there's something wrong with the system. So if you don't go public with it, then it's just going to keep happening. So, yeah, and we'll get into that. The story with these people is they were like, they were in this church. I mean, they were like in, 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 in. yeah, for like a decade. So they yeah. signed the church's membership covenant and agreement saying that they would submit to the Bible and authority, spiritual disciplines, practice, complete chastity, blah, 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 blah. Um, and by the way, this church is huge. So it says 10,000 weekly attendees. The village now has five campuses across the Dallas area. They're raising money to build new campuses. It's likely to cost more than 70 million. Um, so the church is in its golden era, according to this head pastor. So they have a lot to lose in their minds if they were to go public with this. So it's either make the family shut up and be quiet about it. And then they, the family loses or this mega church loses. I I don't think maybe that's not actually running through their minds, but that's the actions that that's. Well, so these people, they kind of reported to the church, and then they kind of sat back and waited, and they were just, like, waiting for people from the church to, like, take care of them. And so three months after the family reported the incident, they finally called to talk to someone, and they're saying, well, if you want to meet with the head pastor, it's going to be several weeks out. So they, this family called the police, sounds like, and then the police did their part in what what you said, like arresting the, and then the guy stopped not working sh- at the church? Or? I, I think the church said that they also contacted the police. Okay. That, well, I, I'm not sure who contacted the police. Yeah. But I think the church said that they did. Okay. Which I think is great. Yeah. I think that's progress. And I don't think the police solve everything, by the way. I don't believe the police are some like natural beacon of hope or whatever. Yeah. But I do think that contacting people outside of your closed system is a good thing to is do. Is a step in the right direction. Yeah. yeah. 
Because those people don't have a dog in the fight. Like the police, the, the law or whatever. They're just doing... But I guess, actually, so I'm reading this. Three months after they reported the incident, they still didn't quite know exactly who it was. And when the mom raised the possibility that it was someone from the actual church, the church leader said this is impossible. And she was told by the senior director of the church that the leaders followed the church's moral code enshrined in the membership covenant. So she's saying, hey, this could be an employee. And they're like, no. This is before he was arrested? Yes. Okay. Um, So there was like denial at first. So then they said that they're talking to experts. Then there's this like whole company that's called Ministry Safe, which I guess is popular among evangelical churches. So this is like this organization, I guess, or they call themselves, they're probably just a business, but they're, you know, they come across as being almost a nonprofit or as an organization. Yeah. And I don't actually know the facts on this, but um, they, they basically investigated it and are like are mm-hmm. sought, seeking to help the situation, but they were hired by the church to kind of like more help the church than the actual victims. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in a way, because these people are members of the church, they feel like the church is looking out for them. Mm-hmm. But really what people don't realize is the church is going to look out for the organization. Which isn't necessarily individual people. Absolutely not. No, yeah. When when the individual people threaten the organization, they're going to prioritize what they think is in the best interest of the bigger group, Mm -hmm. which is much more like a business, by the way. Oh, yeah. Definitely. So she says in this article, as months passed, she came to believe... Their instinct to protect the institution outweighed their care for her daughter or their interest in investigating the truth. For years, she trusted that her church top leaders had acted in the best interest of the congregation and that if she disagreed, the problem was hers. She had a spiritual reason to doubt them was to doubt God. That sounds familiar. That sounds very familiar. But her daughter's ordeal showed her a different side of her church. The village, like many other evangelical churches, uses a written membership agreement containing legal clauses that protect the institution. The village's agreement prohibits members from suing the church and instead requires mediation and then binding arbitration, legal processes that often happen in secret. Sounds shady. Wow. Well, you know, it. I think it is too, but at the time, like, what we heard about these things is like, oh, like, the Bible says, like, we're Christians, we should not depend on the government, or, you know, lawsuits and suing people always sounded so... Um, unbiblical. Unbiblical and, like, primal and vengeful. Yeah. You know, if you do that, you're only after money or revenge. And we, re- like, us, the church, we're really all about love and relationships. It's interesting to me... I, I, I think you said a line in there like you don't really see the dark side of a church until you are in a position where you or someone you love gets really really hurt um and then you see the dark side and when i say dark side just that their churches are businesses the reality and they're just like anyone else they're not more godly or whatever even the fuck that means i don't even know so this is what's fascinating the village actually did fire that dude 
from staff within weeks of learning his name from Wait, is the that family. The village, that's the church. The church is okay. called the village, yeah. Okay. To this day, the church denies he was fired because of sexual abuse allegation. Oh. So they're like, eh, it was more or less like coincidence or other stuff. Okay. So they're still brushing it under the rug. That. They're brushing that under the rug, yeah. Um, Ugh, this stuff just like pisses me off. So like when the dude was fired um, for undisclosed quote-unquote personal reasons, the church emailed families and asked them to write him cards of encouragement and stuff like this. Which I'm all for like restoring people that are perpetrators or whatever. Like, you know, everyone's a victim in a way. But this is totally discounting what happened to these victims yeah. in this way. It's not, you know, it's not true compassion. It's actually turning a blind eye. Yeah. So, I mean, this is like kind of weird shit now. But then the church pays for the mom to have eight counseling sessions and gave him a thousand bucks at Christmas that was like mentioned for her daughter's care or to bless them, quote unquote. Which sounds like bribery to me. Manipulation. The other thing, okay, I can almost guarantee because these are Baptists, I'll bet you almost anything that those counseling sessions were done within the Baptist. Yeah. Um, Which probably did more system. harm than good. <laughs> yes. And this is, this is like one of the things we found out about cults and spiritual systems of any type is anytime they're that insular and they depend solely within the, within the resources in themselves, there's a lot of room for danger. For us, our real help came when we were able to get help from a counselor outside of our system. Mm -hmm. And he told us what we were going. He was like, you guys, he didn't say this, but he was. It, it, we concluded, he was like, you guys are crazy for being in this dangerous world that you're in. And we were like, Oh, really? When everyone that was in the world, they're telling us to keep on going, keep on keeping on. And that it's the best world there is. Of course, they all have a vested interest in, in us believing that this is the correct and best way. Because if we change, they all have to change. And no one wants to like blow up the system that's inside of it. Right. So this, okay, this is... Sit down. All right. I'm sitting. On your... On my stool. Uncomfortable stool. <laughs> but by the way, you can support us from having uh, comfortable <laughs> chairs by contributing <laughs> to our chair fund. This is a great Please time to mention that. Please bless us with some comfy um, chairs. Oh, my gosh. I totally forgot to... We need to have an advertisement for you to hear this last part. Okay. 46, 59, 47 minutes. Sorry. I have to put a note when to put the advertisement in. Um, okay, sit down. In a statement, the village said, quote, we continue to pray for truth to be revealed, for justice to be served, and for healing for all involved. Unquote. Oh, Fuck. Pray. Me oh, yes. Just keep on praying. The ass. Don't do anything. Just pray. Dude, that, that is a cop out that if there's anything that is going to make my blood boil 
The truth was fucking revealed. It is this type of bullshit <laughs> where you talk. It's one thing to me, just like a good business would do. They would say, oh, sorry, we're not your babysitter. We're going to look out for us. We're going to cover our ass and our shareholders' asses. And then say it all in this spiritual lingo that makes us sound like we're godly, And then a business would citizens. just say, lawyer up. We're going to lawyer up, you lawyer up. We're going to cover yeah. our ass, you cover yours. They're not saying that. Right. They come across as being like, oh, no. We care about truth and justice and healing. When the actions, and you, this is what you brought up earlier, which I think is really important, so I want to come back to that, which is that when you sweep one person under the rug, it shows a systemic problem with the entire system. Yep. And a lot of people, like, <laughs> like this came up recently in our podcast, or in our vlog. I guess I've, like, made a couple offhanded comments about our kids going to a Bible study in a snarky oh, yeah. way. And our kids are going to, at a Bible study right now. And people are always like, oh, why are you so snarky about it? And I'm like, well, it's funny, because I know the people who run this Bible study. It's not just that. It's a Bible study. <laughs> well, There's more to it than that. These people, like, I'm not allowed in their house based upon biblical backing that they use to kick us out of their lives. This is my family, by oh, the way. We're giving details. Okay. Um, so, and I have a, so I have a little bit of a, <laughs> a viewpoint of that. But what people are, what I hear people say to us, which kind of pisses me off, but I, I can understand where they're coming from. They're like, oh, you've been hurt by the church. That's why you speak out against the church. And I'm like, no, it's not quite that simple. Because like these people, when you go through something like that, or you see other people go through something like that, it causes you to see angles of it that you never you saw the, when yeah. you're on the end. You see the underbelly. And actually, we were reading this in our book this last week for our book club. A lot of people on the end see it inside the church. They see the kind of like corruption. Like I was at the church when it was like at the end of the year, and they had to blow the budget by the end of the year. So it was just like, buy a bunch of crap. Actually, that was the church that you were molested at. Yay. <laughs> um, where's our, is it here? <laughs> Followed quickly um, by a. <laughs> well, I got a new one, by the way, which we haven't used, but I was, I was really wanting to use it. Because you know how we were looking for something mm -hmm. that was like, when we get to that, that point where it needs this. Uh, oh, yeah, that's good. So. Feel okay. free to use that. Okay. Now it's there at least. All right. Um, so people say, oh, you're hurt by the church. So it's a, as if we just don't know how to contain our feelings and we just need a vent. So we're just like using this podcast to vent because we just have this like, you know, this abundance of emotion and negative energy. Okay. There might be some negative energy. I'm not going to apologize or deny that. But I don't think that's our primary motive anymore. Um it's not why we believe what we believe. It's just that once you see things, you can't unsee them. And it becomes a part of the picture. So I'm not angry at all churches. I don't think they're all piles of shit and it should be burned down. I don't feel like they're filled with bad people or run by bad people. But I do feel like this is something that the system needs to contend with and deal with this data and deal with this evidence. And if we don't systemically look at why these type of people and this type of thing happens in the environments that breed this type of secrecy. All under the name of God. All under the name of God and, and good spirituality. 
then we're really up a creek. (laughs) So, man, that last line, I'm fine with business. I'm fine with love. I don't like it when you call one the other. Hmm. I mean, this really pisses me off with uh, vloggers who like look at the camera and as sincerely as they can, they're like, hey guys, leave a like and subscribe. Love you. We're all family here. You're a part of the Jake Pollers, the fucking Crawford fight for together. Like, yeah, we're all in this together. And they like use identity manipulation mm-hmm. and like inclusion tactics to basically manipulate you so that they can make more money selling their merch and selling ads. Like that's bullshit. Like, At least they're not doing it under the name of God, though. Yeah, totally. I mean, it <laughs> that's is where I feel like but... it goes even further. <laughs> but are they question? Are is that family legally binded not to sue? Did they like sign something? I don't know. I mean, th- the way the article left it, and it's a long article, so they are. Um, they're like just now. I mean, like a year too late almost like looking into talking a lawyer i mean they they just weren't prepared because they thought that the church was defending them yeah and i get that i mean i i feel like i went through that i understand i mean i i gave this is i don't know if this is just a christian thing for religious folks or whether a lot of people deal with this but i found it with a lot of christians even in business actually like i advised a young guy this week who was talking about quitting his job and he was talking about giving his company because it was like owned by Christians and their friends. And he was talking about like, Oh, I want to let them know as soon as possible and give them as much notice. And I said, don't, I said, they wouldn't do it to you. And he knew that, Mm. but they have this like way of, of like the organizations do of being all buddy, buddy Mm -hmm. and calling them friends and family and all these, this lingo when I know this company like has not given good severance packages and they don't give people a month's notice, you know, mm-hmm. if they decide that they don't, you're not better for their bottom line, they'll fire your ass or lay you off and they won't apologize. Say, God for bless it. you. Yeah, maybe. But, and they have every right to do that. Sure. You yeah. Know, great. Do if it. They're a business. They're a business. Yeah. Everyone knows that. But the, where it gets confusing is when you treat them like a friend and then you expect to be treated like a friend and then you're not. And I feel like with churches, for whatever reason, and this happened to us a number of times, by the way, before we caught on to this, like when you're in, it is the greatest thing in the world. And you feel like, you know, oh, I could never be out. Oh, my gosh. You could be out so fast. Mm -hmm. And what I find shocking is the people that are out and then they go to a different church because they're like, oh, this one's going to be different. But it's not really shocking in the sense of, I mean... I think it's you're hopeful and you want to belong, you know, because that was such a great feeling. So you just look for the next place you can. Yeah. And fuck, I actually believe it could happen. I believe there probably are churches and other social groups out there that aren't in it for the power and the money. I just think the way uh, structures are set up, maybe in a capitalistic world or something, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's... It's not, the data's not there, like, as to why it would be different. Um, It's just not. And, oh, heartbreaking. So close to home. 
Love to end on that. Super happy nope. fucked up note. <laughs> but guess what? Guess what? Do you remember from last week? Oh, was, did Kelsey bring it again? Yes, Kelsey right. brought it. Saved all your asses. Ah! Hey. It is time for the phone calls. Hello, Ben and Cammy. This is Kelsey from Minnesota calling again with a question this time. Um, so on one of your recent vlogs, you talked about how you're going to start letting the kids kind of um, work through their fights themselves, kind of duke it out themselves, so to speak. And I was wondering, um, what was your relationship like with your siblings growing up? I guess this question could be for either either one of you or both of you want to take a stab at it, and um, how that has shaped how you made that decision today with your kids. So, all right, I appreciate it. Uh, looking forward to your responses. Thanks in advance. Bye. All right, a little bit of context. So what Kelsey is talking about is we recently recorded um, a vlog episode on Pfeiffer Together's YouTube channel for the videos where we talked about our strategy with kids and fighting and more or less just like letting them duke it out instead of intervening. There is a few exceptions to this. Like if someone on the smaller end is like complete overmatched and they're getting bullied, we'll speak up. Um, but for the most part, like letting it play out and letting kids learn from the natural consequences of conflict instead of like, directly intervening like functioning more as a coach after the fact and answering questions so i think that's what she's responding to mm -hmm. so she wants to know how did we grow up with our siblings for me i was i felt a lot like an only child there was a, i was the youngest of my sister is seven years older my brother is five years older than me and so I really don't remember there was a whole lot of interaction between us in that way. Uh, what I do remember is if I came into my brother's room and he didn't want me there, he would just uh, pillow fight, like hit me with a pillow till I left. <laughs> and that's all I really remember, that kind of thing. And so I didn't really have a whole lot of experience with um, direct confrontation with my siblings like I do now. <laughs> I made up for it. My childhood. Yeah. I was, a um, I had a younger brother that was three years younger than me and I basically like beat the crap out of him. Um, I mean, I was a bully. Uh, you know, I was really hard on myself for a lot of years about it, but I, the reason why a lot of our parenting is the way it is was I've learned to not beat myself up about it because I, I don't want to say I didn't know better, but I didn't know how to stop. You know, I got um, disciplined for when I got caught, which wasn't very often for bullying him. But, you know, sometimes my dad would say like, he would like tell me about what I was doing and like kind of almost like you should know better and I knew that I shouldn't but there was a deep-seated like insecurity 
that drove it. You know, I think mm-hmm. I was afraid that I would be less loved, or I I don't fully understand or it, was it. Competitive, maybe. Yeah, I just know enough to know that it was it was fear based, and I think it almost always is, is my belief. Mm-hmm. So when it came to our kids, when I saw it was our oldest beating up our second dove beating up Eden, like we're talking pretty young, you know, like six, eight, ten, whatever. Mm-hmm. I really took a strong stance against like coming down hard on dove or at least letting eden know to speak up and to tell us mm-hmm. and now it's kind of cool like we had a story today that you were saying while we were running well i've noticed that because dove is just more physical i mean it's just her personality um lends to just be more directly confrontational and so a lot of times she'll just like, you know, slap Eden on the shoulder playfully, but kind of hard in my opinion. And Eden, today Eden's just like, just shoves her off, you know, really hard. Don't, you know. And I was like, oh, that was pretty like evenly matched what I saw. But it, it wasn't always that way. And I think. It that took... was like Eden's way of speaking up for herself and saying like, I'm not going to yeah. like, just get my ass kicked for you. Yeah, and Deb was like, oh, you almost smudged my nail polish I just put on, <laughs> you know. So it was, like, playful, and it, but I felt I felt good about that interaction because I, I was like, they were meeting each other's energy with within their personalities. There's a personality imbalance, but that doesn't re- necessarily result in a net power yeah. imbalance. Yeah, yeah. That's a good way to put it. And I've come to see my own childhood and Dove as like not the bad guys because early on it would have been easy to see Dove as like, you know, kind of just like a bully or just a jerk. And instead I was able to like kind of see her, um, oh, she's motivated by fears too. And yeah, they are destructive towards Eden, but instead of just coming down on that, trying to coach her and help her through that mm-hmm. and understand the root issues that are driving that and to kind of like put those at ease or deal with those instead of just the behaviors yeah so which i think would have helped you as a kid and that's what i wish i would have had instead of just being told to stop which i didn't know how Mm -hmm. so um, you just probably felt like a bad kid then yeah Mm-hmm. I felt like the worst kid. And I, in fact, I know Dove deals with that too. So mm-hmm. what I wish I would have had more of as a child is someone that like understood me and coached me mm-hmm. and assumed the best of me. Yeah. You know, I, w- I didn't really want to hurt my brother. I just, that was the only way I could really feel good about myself at that age. And I mean, I see adults do that all the time now. We just do it in different ways um, with, you know, online bullying and scapegoating and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so that's where, I don't know, our tactic with our kids is to try and understand them and then coach them, but assume that they want health and love and life. They're not trying to, no one like, well, I don't want to say no one, but most people don't want to just go out and hurt people like just for the hell of it they're actually doing it to find some sort of wholeness they don't know how to find somewhere else even if people do want to hurt other people there there's something really going on with them that's like they're hurting inside great question i hope that i hope that answered that um 
Yeah. All right. All right. Anything else? Final notes. Um, seriously, if you guys would like to contribute to our chair fund, it's one of the ways you can support us. Uh, the um, Patreon. Do we have a Patreon link? I don't know. Venmo and PayPal link is below. 100% optional, but every dollar helps. It's um, We're not getting any like outside support. Actually, we, we do have ads, and we've made... 11 bucks this week. <laughs> uh, which could be more by the time this comes out. Um, and this podcast is available on iTunes and Spotify and all the other places and on YouTube. If you're listening to this on audio and you want to see the video, you can watch the videos, but it's just our faces smoking cigars. Um, the phone number, if you would like to leave a message, which we would love if you would leave a comment or a message or a comment on YouTube, but the phone number is 206 651 Five seven four four. Shout out to Seattle. Um, the we also have a link to the Facebook group discussion below, which is a place where you could post questions and hopefully meet other people that are dialoguing about similar issues. Um, the articles that we talked about today are all available in the show notes. All right. That is all. Thank you for listening to Fight for Together. We'll see you next time.